And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney and a partner at the law firm of Mauk and Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. You can learn more about us by going to maukbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date on our show or visit our website to view our entire podcast library of previous Lawyers for Jesus interviews. Today, our guest is Roy Stiff, who has been working with Crew for over 40 years. Currently, he is the Eastern European representative for the Global Church Movement's Ministry of Crew, which is still known as Campus Crusade for Christ or New Life Internationally. Teams with Global Church Movements are acting as advisors to help existing churches to plant new house churches with a goal of growth exponentially. In the past, Roy was an undercover missionary and national director for Crew in Communist Poland. Soon after the fall of the Berlin Wall, he and his family moved to Russia, where he continued to minister and serve crew as the national director of New Life Russia for several years. Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rich. It's good to be here. Uh, Nice when you have a person sitting across the desk from you and you can look them in the eyes. Roy has been a friend of mine and a a mentor of mine for a number of years now. Uh, Years and years ago, actually, we supported at at Great Shepherd, your ministry, and uh, it's just really a delight to have you here. I remember. Thank you. So let's start. Who is this Roy Stiff guy? Um, Tell me a little bit about your background. It it says you're this undercover agent for... I'm from New England, went to Brown University. I'm completing a, a degree in applied math and computer science. I joined the staff of Campus Crusade, It was as it was known then, and... Um, I would say by my third and fourth year, God began placing on my heart those who might be suffering for the gospel. So in 1977, when there was an opportunity to go on a summer project behind the Iron Curtain, I signed up. It was all secret, hush, hush. And frankly, just by God's leading while on that summer project, it was in Poland. um, I went to Warsaw and and asked the question, can uh, an American play basketball in Poland? Your radio audience can't see me, but I am over six feet, eight inches tall and have played basketball until the knees gave out. When uh, Roy and I are walking together, it looks like Laurel and Hardy. I'm about five, six and a half. And and, uh, it is pretty. As we walk to work today, he said, you don't have the disadvantage. I have to avoid the umbrellas. So (laughs) it is quite something. So that in uh, Warsaw, at the head of the whole basketball uh, department, uh, running the basketball for the whole country, I basically found out that, yes, they were willing to issue me an invitation on the basis of which I could get a visa and that, uh, yes, they would ask me to play for a club, a team that was in Krakow in the south part of Poland. And what turned uh, a trip that was supposed to be just a summer project, I went to see what was the state with Christians behind the Iron Curtain, turned into a lifelong adventure as a that first year in 1977, I played basketball 
behind the Iron Curtain and learn the language and try to reach out to people. So how did you transfer from that initial um, basketball experience to crew in in Poland at the time? Well, it was all undercover. So everything we did uh, was we tried, obviously, to keep out of the eyes of the authority, which meant I needed to have another reason for being in this communist country. My first was a basketball player. Then I was a student for three and a half years. And then I owned a business uh, for now I'm guessing about 10 or 11 years. Those were the reasons I put down on the visa application form. Uh, and then, of course, it helped when after being in the country th three years, I married a Polish girl uh, who was born and raised in Poland. And then no one asked anymore why I stayed in Poland. Uh, I had family there. And family mattered. Yes, family. They understood that, that issue. Their first question to me was, um, did I have any Polish background? And when I said no, I was speaking through translation, uh, translator to the man who was uh, talking to the police about a possible visa. And so he asked, the question came over the phone, does he have any Polish background? This liaison said to the translator, does he have any Polish background? Who told, asked me in English. I said no. The translator said no. And then the liaison said, yes, he's Polish. So, because <laughs> they wanted me just because of my height. And and also you're um, fluent in Pol Polish now. Uh, only now. When I went to Poland, I didn't say, couldn't speak one word. Not a yes, not a no, not a thank you. No. And I think that's true in uh, Russian as well. Is that when right? I moved to Russia, well, because God called and there was about a year and a half from his call until we actually moved, I began to study. But when God called, I didn't know one word of Russian. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of the law firm of Mauk and Baker. Today we are speaking with Roy Stiff, longtime global missionary with Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, Roy, taking that uh, transition to Crew and to Russia, tell me what you've been doing and, and how does that translate to what you're doing now? Um, just real briefly, I did, uh, after learning the language, which frankly takes two years. I did student ministry just like you would see on a college campus, obviously with precautions taking in communist Poland. And then I led crew's ministry in, in Poland for five years. Well, before you say obviously, what kind of precautions would that have been? Uh, we didn't talk openly on the phone. Um, we didn't. Uh, Poland was a very unique communist country because the Catholic Church was so strong. And the, the biggest thing was is that so long as I pretended to be a businessman, then the communist government pretended that I was a businessman and ignored my religious activities. But you couldn't you couldn't have done that in other communist countries. Poland was very unique. But I was interviewed by the secret police several times. Uh, I could have been thrown out of the country, and my biggest fear was my wife, because you don't get U.S. citizenship by marrying an American. It's not automatic. Um, that they could have arrested my wife and thrown her in jail and when I went to the U.S. Embassy and asked what they would do, they said nothing. She's not a U.S. citizen. Wow. That's that's life. That's I have zero complaints. That's how international diplomacy works. Well, Gosha, your wife, uh, was also very, very active with crew as well. She was. She first came to Christ through a movement within the Catholic Church through the influence of uh, staff members who this Polish priest asked U.S. staff to come and teach at these camps in the mountains that were deep, and I mean deep.
deep in the mountains, trying to stay out of the eyes of the authorities. And she was a translator, and that's where her Catholic faith became very real and personal for her uh, through the influence of this translator. And then she needed it when she graduated with her major in English philology, she taught English. That was her cover until she married me. Um, because she needed, everyone needed a reason to be able to explain to the authorities, what are we doing in the country? What are you occupying your time with? And where does your money come from? So, well, let me ask you as though I were the authority, what are you doing in the country at this time. At this time. Yes. So you've transitioned. You were student ministry. Then you became leadership. What are you doing now? Well, when we moved to Poland, I went back to student ministry. And then they asked me to direct the uh, Campus Crusade or New Life's ministry in, in Russia, which I did for 14 years with some breaks in there. Uh, we eventually were able to turn that ministry over to a national, which was also true in Poland, because that's our goal is to indigenize the ministry. And since that time, uh, been involved in two things. One is Campus Crusade now has a part of it called Global Church Movements. And we are helping existing churches to uh, plant churches. There's a lot of people who do that, plant house churches. But our emphasis is either you start from the very beginning in planting a church that has the goal of multiplying within two years, and there's things that you need to do from the very beginning to make that happen. Or this church will become a more traditional church, which we're not against, but we're trying to see the gospel go further and further through this multiplication movement. So how do you do that? The first and biggest thing is you don't start with a group of Christians. You start with uh, a group of Christians, let's say four or five, and then at least an equal number of non-Christian seekers. So from the very beginning, the people who are wanting to start this house fellowship um, know that they have to do evangelism, know they have to be talking to their friends, and know that a home is a place, a very neutral place, where they will be invited, where they these people can get answers, uh, questions answered, as well as, even more important, Lord willing, experience true Christian fellowship. And by true Christian fellowship, I mean with all the warts and all the problems, and all the conflicts, because that's real Christian life, and yet see the commitment and the love for each other. And that has turned out to be the greatest apologetic for the faith, not our intellectual answers. People so, want that kind of connection. They, they want something that's real and relational. Yes, absolutely. All right, all right so um, I'll be ready. That's, that's the first thing and most important. So my last question is, how do you attract – I can see how the four Christians get involved. They have to be very committed. How do you get five non-Christians to become a part of this small group? In the beginning, you, we really uh, ask people to make a list of their non-Christian friends. And in the training, what's funny is we say, write down the names of 20 people. And then we say, now go and cross out all the Christians. And the number of Christians who cross out everyone, it takes very little time. It takes seven years for someone coming to faith before they lose their non-Christian contacts. I'm a Christian. I understand perfectly what you're and saying. So there. there is training on so you still have contact with non-Christians. Right. How do you talk to non-Christians? How do you develop a relationship? And how do you bring in the gospel from the very beginning? Coming up, we will be talking further with Roy Stiff about what God is doing through the church in Eastern Europe and how we can support his ministries. I'm Rich Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus Radio.
Sometimes, Jesus used the law to make a difference, and so must we. In his book, Jesus in the Courtroom, author and attorney John Mauck shows us how to engage our modern legal system for the good of the kingdom. Jesus in the Courtroom discusses the need for faith-filled lawyers in order to protect the church and what good can happen when we partner with Christian legal professionals. To order your copy of Jesus in the Courtroom, find it at Moody Publishers or go to JesusInTheCourtroom.com. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker, partner with the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with Roy Stiff of Crew, Global Church Movements Ministry, about his time and his work in Poland and Russia. Uh, Roy, when we uh, went to break, you were talking about the house church movement, but there's more to what you're doing as well. Tell us a little bit of what else is going on. In Siberia, uh, it's not just... Uh, starting house fellowships, house groups, and there's a whole process of how that becomes a church. They have also uh, been able to first help out at what are called rehabilitation centers um, and now even start some rehabilitation centers. Uh, the problem of alcoholism in Russia is beyond really what you can imagine. Uh, the problem with drugs in Russia is that the entry drug is in Russia is not marijuana, but is a heroin that they smoke. And the addiction rate among young people is extremely high. The result of this is that the homeless rate, and if you can imagine being homeless in Siberia, is uh, also high, uh, even with children. Um, there's a story I'd like to share is that um, there was a man, uh, his name is Vlad, uh, he had become homeless uh, because of alcohol, not drugs. Um, and he was living on the street. Uh, somehow he cut himself, uh, but he never went to see the doctor because, of course, he wouldn't do that. Um, a friend of theirs drank himself into oblivion, and uh, so somehow someone called an uh, ambulance. When the ambulance came, they said, he'll be fine, but you, you can come into the hospital right away because you have gangrene. He went to the hospital they uh, had to remove his leg at the hip. Mm. Um, and then he went to this government rehabilitation center. Our staff, our volunteers were given free access there. And through uh, their witness, uh, he became a Christian. And he grew and he very quickly, uh, after he left the rehabilitation center, and he's not he didn't get an artificial leg. This is not a country that takes care of its handicap very well. No access. Uh, so he just walks around on crutches in one leg. Um, he would go back to the rehabilitation center to talk to others about Christ. And when he showed up one day, they said, you have to come talk to this woman. Uh, the problem of suicide and especially the way uh, women are treated in Russia is, is very difficult. And so a young woman uh, decided to commit suicide for whatever reason. And in Siberia, it's quite uh, simple. You go out to the forest, you take a bottle of vodka, you drink yourself uh, stone drunk so that you pass out and then you freeze to death. But she was found and uh, taken to a hospital. They saved her life, uh, but they cut off her hands and feet because they had got, gotten frostbit so bad. So she, instead of uh, killing herself, she wakes up, uh, is alive, but with no hands or feet. And so they told Vlad, you must come talk to her. So he eventually led her to the Lord. And so now they work together. And this is their ministry. And when I met Vlad and talked to him, I've never met a more joyful Christian. His disability, he was an opportunity, and same with his wife. And so part of what's going on is not just um, 
starting house churches, but helping to start rehabilitation centers or working in existing ones. The government knows for the most part that they don't have answers, that all the people they treat end up back on the street. The, the rate is like 90%. And in the rehabilitation centers where we're working, the rate is, it's still not good. I think it's 60, 65, but it's much, much better than at the government center because we're just bold about the gospel and you're not going to get better without Jesus. You know, it's interesting you say that even here in Chicago with a uh, uh, CPS, there are certain schools that the teachers, they allow them to practice their Christian faith and even pray in class because the discipline is so out of hand and everything like that. And they, they recognize that unless there's something more, they can't control it. This is also true in Russia. It's something else we're doing. We have a, a class, a course for high school students. Uh, we have access to advertise it or announce it during school hours and then meet on school property afterwards. It's called Better Choices, but it's all centered around the gospel. And the government wants us to come in. Because they realize uh, with uh, the heroin addiction, uh, Russia has the highest AIDS um, rate in, the, in Europe, and it's caused by sharing of needles, not caused by sexual activity. I mean, there might be some of that, but the number one cause is sharing of needles. And uh, so AIDS is a huge problem. Uh, the divorce rate in Russia is now at 70, 75 percent. The alcoholism, the drugs, and the Russian government knows they're in trouble. And so we have open doors to go into schools and to do different programs. And we have something called Crossroads or uh, something similar, better choices. Well, I'm a little bit off script here, but yes. um, the predominant religion in Russia has been the Orthodox Church. How do you work with the Orthodox Church in this? The whole time I was there, we could not because Orthodoxy does believe that they're the true form of Christianity. Uh, they view Catholics and Protestants the same, the different sides of the same court, uh, coin. And they're correct. There's a huge difference between Orthodox Christianity and Western Christianity. But Orthodox Christianity is not like Western Christianity in terms of involved or involved th that much in social issues. Uh, you know, Catholics have started universities and hospitals and orphanages around the world, and Protestants also are known for a great deal of uh, social work. And so um, we could not, uh, the Orthodox Church didn't have answers for the government, and I'll, after the break, I'll explain how we work with them now. I, I've never had anyone allow me the break. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Rich Baker of Malkin Baker, and we're speaking with Roy Stiff of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. All right, Roy, pick up with that, that, that this relationship between the Orthodox and, and, in your case, the Protestant. Uh, when we moved there in 1991 uh, to Moscow, and we were there for 20 years, my wife and our, our three kids and myself, uh, the patriarch was a, I have to call him a godly man, uh, who guided the church through some very difficult, difficult times under communist persecution. And so he had my greatest respect, but he decreed absolutely no contact with Western Christians of any kind, including Orthodox Christians who were from the West. They really feared Western influence. He passed away. There is a new patriarch, and they reached out to us. And we've done a translation project and a printing project of the New Testament. And we, um, we print it. We include a DVD of the Jesus film, which is very evangelistic. 
and the Orthodox Church is giving it to their members to distribute, and in few cases is allowing us to train their church members in how to use the New Testament and how to use the DVD with neighbors and things like that. The original plan was to distribute these to army bases and uh, hospitals, but at this point the distribution is a little bit wider. We've printed 50,000 with them, and I assume by now the second 50,000 has been printed and will uh, be distributed. So that was a long paragraph, yes. and there was a lot of content in that. All right, I'm going to break it down a little bit. All right, uh, the Jesus film being played on army bases. Tell me about this. I would assume that is all personal, um, and especially in Russia, you can still find DVD players. Uh, Everything worldwide is moving to the, you. You simply go online and watch the Jesus, uh, Jesus film. So I don't think in too many cases it's being shown in some kind of hall. But this, uh, the soldiers or whoever it might be do have access to screens, go online or to DVD players and watch it then. Russia is becoming more media saturated like the West and therefore the Jesus film which is, what, 1978 it was made, and it shows its age, but it works very well in Russia as a summation of the life of Christ according to the Gospel of Luke with an evangelistic close. And yes, we use it to get back on, on script to help plant house churches and Thank house you fellowships. Very much. Well, well, it sounds like there's a tremendous need and void in in uh, Russia at this point. There, There is. I My current position is um, I work out of the area office, which is located in Budapest, and I'm responsible to help, I do not have authority, to help in the Russian-speaking countries, that's Russia, Ukraine, Moldova, and Belarus, as well as in Poland, because those are the two languages I speak, to help the staff and the volunteers on the, gra on the ground. I'm a strategic thinker, I'm also a mentor of, of men who are leaders, and those are the two main things I do. Um, and uh, so, in Russia, it is simply that uh, when we moved there in 91, the percent of evangelicals in the country was 0 0.3. Uh, by the time we left, it might have doubled to 0 0.6, but it certainly uh, has doubled again to 1.2 and is now, I understand, 1.5%. Uh, and most of that growth is taking place in Siberia. If I could just mention this, if you continually arrest Christian leaders and send them to a region of your country, and they're not in jail or in camps, Siberia itself, because it was such harsh condi conditions, um, was the punishment. And these people were allowed to gather and pray, and they continued to pray for their cities and towns. It shows after 150 years, because the Tsars used to arrest the Protestants too, not just the communists. So there is tremendous spiritual openness in the eastern part of Russia and Siberia, where the west western part of Russia is still very, very difficult. Uh, Roy, you, uh, thanks for speaking with us today. This is only the beginning of an ongoing conversation. Um, how can people best support your ministry and pray for what you're doing? Well, thank you for mentioning prayer. And I 100% I mean this, is that I am always looking for people who are willing to pray. Uh, my wife was a four-time, 20-year cancer survivor, and she, there were many times she should have passed away. And it was God answering the prayers of people that kept her all these 20 years. My email address is roy.stiff, that's R-O-Y dot S-T-I-F-F at C-R-U dot org. And uh, you can write me, and I 
say that you would like to receive my prayer letters. My wife did pass away a year ago, and uh, I will send you the prayer letters and you can pray. If you would like to support, you should go to giving.crew.org and you'll come up to the giving page. Type in my name, Roy Stiff, and that should take you to a place where you can give by credit card. Thanks, Roy. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.